A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's podcast, uh, where we're live in front of our audience uh, at Samsung King's Cross. Give yourselves a big round of applause. <laughs> and... Um, to help keep, um, well, all of us in check, but particularly James and myself, um, it's Sarah Elgin. Hi, Sarah. I'm not sure anyone's ever kept you and James in check, to be fair. So I think that's an impossible task. But thanks, Lol. Um, are we feeling a little worse for wear after coming back from Paris? Um, no, I don't, no. don't think so. No, you don't no, look no. it. James came back only today, so he's feeling a bit worse. Oh, you're there. fresh as well, aren't you? Yeah, I'm all right. I've done all right. Actually, I went home, had a little shower, put my makeup on. I'm feeling better. Yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> Long, a long, hard look at myself in the mirror. So come on, we can do this, and I'm here. <laughs> Good, we're glad you're here. Um, and with us from the Evening Standard, we've got uh, Steve Cording as well. Hey, Steve, how are you? Hello, Sarah, how are you? You're the best dressed tonight, by the way. You've made an effort. Oh, Lawrence thank you. in an iron shirt, James in a T-shirt of some description. Well, Lola has changed twice already. Are you going to change again during the show or not? I love a change of outfit. All right, Mike TV, calm down. <laughs> okay, well, it's good to see you. Um, good to see you all. And he's spoken already, but I'm going to introduce now our special guest this week. Um, he's obviously had a very successful rugby career. Um, 200 appearances for Wasps. You want any Wasps fans? Yes. Um, 77 caps for England and stints playing in France, Japan and New Zealand. After retiring from rugby, he of course swapped try lines for baselines and now enjoys DJing in exotic locations such as Ibiza, Dubai and even Twickenham Stadium, the most exotic of them all. It's James Haskell, everyone. Thank you. James, I, yes. I am obviously very excited that you're here, Thank but you. I'm slightly disappointed that Chloe is not, mainly because, can I tell you why? Yes. Every time I feel like I need to get a little bit fitter and a little bit healthier, I turn to Chloe's books. Really? It's honest, honest truth. Well, yeah. uh, she sorts uh, me right out. I'll be honest with you, my, my entire life is made up meeting people who ask me, is your wife here? And then they look <laughs> perpetually disappointed. And then I get drunk women coming up to me going, can I just say, I like you, but I much prefer your wife. I'm like, I, I don't think we needed to be told that. So it's not the first time I've been told that. She's definitely my better half in every way. Much more nice, compassionate. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm a complete opposite, unfortunately. Well, that's cute. That's cute. She would be very happy to hear that, I'm sure. Okay, well, listen, gents, um, we obviously want to look ahead to the Rugby World Cup final. Um, and before that, I suppose we need to chat, don't we, about the semi-final results. Um, and especially England's performance against South Africa. And I hate to remind you three and England supporters here, but England were leading until the 78th minute. 
James, what were you thinking after watching the last fight? So I actually, um, I, I struggle sometimes to watch it in, in the stadium because you don't get to catch all the... the uh, you have to buy a ticket. That's you know? what I mean. Also, <laughs> I, haven't got, I haven't got Lawrence's connection. So my, every time I do get a ticket, it's in the nosebleed. So I, <laughs> so I decided to actually watch it with Alex Payne. I, I, we went out for dinner, had a nice couple of bottles of wine, sort of greased the wheels and went into a nice little Parisian bar. And we watched it. And honestly, I couldn't believe what I was seeing because uh, having spoken to some of the players um, in, in the England team, they, they said that... Steve Borthwick, obviously very stat-based um, coach, they'd analysed a lot of what was, what South Africa were doing. And, and he, I think he basically came out and said, look, every time we run the numbers on this, South Africa always come out five points ahead. Like, you know, but there is a certain way for us to beat them. It's very specific. and We're going to have to do it in a certain way. And if you execute it, we'll do that. And for 78 minutes, they did that. I think in the last 10 minutes, if I'm honest, I know we, the, we'll talk about the penalty. I think they panicked a little bit. I think they kicked a little bit aimlessly. I think they indisciplined a little bit, you know, and I think as soon, and I never believed they were going to lose until they gave that line out away and they scored. And I was like, oh God, here we go. Because then the game comes down to individual decisions. And that's what rugby's been ruled by at the moment. It's, you know, games are so close, it's always a red card or always a referee decision or something a little bit intangible. So I was actually devastated. I was much more devastated about this loss than I was the World Cup final because we got pumped in the World Cup final. I didn't, we didn't turn up this. The boys put their heart on their sleeves. And actually, if you have a level head and you're not sort of a completely irrational lunatic, you knew these guys were always trying their hardest, but they hadn't had the best preparation. But they stuck with it and they really, really showed. And, and I, I think for me, someone like Owen Farrell, the top point scorer for England, an absolute leader of men, getting booed and stuff like that. And I think for, for me, all of that got put to one side now. And they actually, you know, and, they, and in another, another dimension, they won that game. So I was devoed, but I went with the motto that I always, always have, win or lose, got on the booze. And we just, we just <laughs> carried on. And, and that softened the blow. But they, Why does um, that not surprise but, but me? But to, to be fair, I mean, look, no one expects, no one ne necessarily saw that performance of England coming. A lot of people were thinking, wow, this could be quite, you know, quite a big score. Uh, South Africa against France were amazing. Um, Semi-finals are never like the quarterfinal. They were never going to be like that. The rain came down. England were continually, every time you see Steve Borthwick, maybe the interviews were a little bit kind of, um, he looked a bit upset. All the players kept coming out with this kind of same line, siege mentality, well, everyone's written us off, no one expects us to get out of the pool, etc. But et it was true, though. No, it but was... we weren't, we, no, one, no one had actually written them off. No mm. one had expect, not expected them to get out of the pool. They just arrived at the tournament, having lost three out of four games, and we didn't play great in any of the pool matches, OK? So, and the rugby that we're seeing on the other side of the draw was absolutely incredible, like from a different planet. So no one had ever said, you're not going to get out of the pool. And... You know, the, the quarterfinal quarter against Fiji, we saw a significant improvement. I was blown away by the performance from England. I thought it would be a close match because of the weather conditions and because when you are written off, in, even if it's only in your own mind, you produce a massive performance. And, and they were magnificent. Some of the tackle counts of the team were, were huge. Right from that first whistle, you knew, certainly for those of us who play, you knew that England were, were, were at it. I mean, they, they beat South Africa in every area, apart from the scrum, which we'll get on to next. They took off the fly off South Africa, didn't they? They could have taken off any of those South African players because none of them deserved to be on the field. Given, <laughs> And I thought we were quite surprised by the selection from uh, Razi Erasmus and his team because that was a tough quarterfinal against France. And uh, England were so, so close. They really were. When we reflect on it, little things in games. Ireland went out um, of the tournament because maybe they didn't take a few early kicks at goal. Maybe the hooker burst out of the uh, driving mall and got held up over the line. France went out because he got his kick charge down. You know, so there's, there's tiny little margins. England obviously gave away a scrum penalty, but 
You've ruffled a few feathers. No, I haven't. Week. No, honestly. <laughs> yeah, you are. Who's the fullback? Freddie Stewart was magnificent. Okay, magnificent. He went into that game saying it's the highest profile game I've ever played in. If he'd have sent that kick long, we'd have won the game. There wouldn't have been a scrum. You know, and if England had scored, we had a try under uh, a try, um, a scrum under the posts or a scrum in our in their twenty-two. I think that was a big turning point. We, that we one turned out. the ball over. England had their chances to win that game. We never looked like scoring a try, but then neither did South Africa until they came up. Yeah. You know, they got one opportunity and they scored that try, and suddenly it became a, a contest. England were fifteen-six up with what sixty-five minutes or something. And they would look quite comfortable, uh, you know, and it was just a shame. I'm going to have to put my hand up tonight, aren't I, to get a word yeah, in Yeah, you're not going to get a word two. in. Genuine. Well, <laughs> oh, Nadia, we're waiting for you now. <laughs> no, yeah, you may speak. <laughs> the cue. Well, from a fan's perspective, um, I have to say, having been at the Fiji game at Twickenham and then at the Fiji game in Marseille, what a difference there's been in that period of time. And Steve Borthwick deserves all the credit in the world for transforming a team that were basically going nowhere under Eddie Jones. He had next to no time to do it at all. And I think he's given us renewed hope because they did, for me, they did the basics very well. You know, stop South Africa scoring as much as you can. Keep them out of the red zone was good. There was a lot of kicking, yes. England didn't score any tries, but that comes. You know, you've got to get the basics and the fundamentals right. And I think if you looked at the England fans in the stadium, I mean, you guys would have seen them, but... There were smiles on faces again. And the irony being, of course, that England played their best game and lost. But you've got to take the positive. I, I will say as well, just, just in regards to, to the fans, because you know, we did a thing with um, England Rugby Travel, me and Alex Payne, The Beast, and, and Dylan Hartley. And we kind of had a chat. And I, th- I think it's a bit of a misnomer with, with, with some of the fans. Because actually, the real diehard ones have always been, had the faith and are always quite loyal. I think with the world we live in now, there's a cross-section of social media that you always believe because ne- 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 negativity sells, is perpetuated online. I actually think the fans have always been pretty good. Twickenham sometimes, because it's a bit corporate, can be a little bit disgruntled. But actually, from what I've seen during this tournament, England fans turned up every single time they had an opportunity. They really, really created an atmosphere. And it was actually, it was actually weird with the... Um, the New Zealand uh, versus Argentina because they're all full of you know the lot the lot of French fans in in both those both those games and they were like booing the referee booing everyone <laughs> typical like booing, you know, anyone anyone was getting booed but then they started to cheer for England so I think that's one of the highlights actually and I think people should be a lot more excited about this England team than perhaps you would believe watching stuff on social media I think the fans have been amazing the whole time you know you were saying booing the referee um, what I meant when I said you ruffled a few feathers you could have easily been booing the referee at the end you piped up saying. That, that Ben O'Keefe was wrong to... Am I right? Yeah, I do you, that, do you yeah. still stand I mean, by that? Well, listen, I think because I'm English and, we, and I was commentating on England and everyone said I'm one-eyed and biased, I think he was wrong to award the penalty, yeah. And the only reason I, I, I say that is because um, there was a tipping point. England had, had obviously had uh, Dan Cole on the field and Joe Marler, who were magnificent, and they, they really you know, held their own. There wasn't that many scrums in the game, actually. Uh, and then obviously we brought on, uh, you know, South Africa started to pour on their substitutes. And then the last two scrum penalties had gone against England. But I had the benefit, perhaps on social media, they didn't hear this, but of listening to Jamie George and the ref Mike. Jamie George was on the field. He played with Vincent Cock, who's, who's a tight head prop. He knows exactly what he's doing because they used to do it together for Saracens. The tight head was boring in. Now Ellis Genge's knee dropped to the floor, which is not a penalty actually in itself because it came straight back up again it literally touched the floor and then he went in I hate to get very technical here but when a tight head balls in okay, if the loose head doesn't go in with him then the scrum goes up then it would have been a penalty so my personal feeling 
and it's not just as, as a rugby fan, is that he should have reset that scrum. I say the same thing. I mean, if he resets the scrum and then it happens again, then, you know, th then it's acceptable. But to award a penalty in the last minute of the game, when you know that that penalty is going to cost one side or the other, victory or defeat, when it's such a technical offence. Jamie George was saying to the referee, Ben O'Keefe, two scrums before that, he is boring in, Vincent Cock. He does it with me every week at Saracens. I know exactly what, you know, what, exactly what he's doing. So my personal view as an independent was that he milked that penalty. And well done to him because he got it. Referee awarded it to him and they won the game. But it, I, I don't think it should have been decided. It's a bit of a double-edged sword, really, because we're asking... I think now with referees, our game is because of the bunker and everything else and always reviewing stuff. You kind of want referees just to make decisions. But equally, when the stakes are that high and it's on such an intangible, which is a scrum, like normally if it had been a high tackle or, or holding on or something, but there is so much going on. Like, my personal opinion, and it doesn't no reflection of something, I hate scrums. I think they're awful. I think they're just boring. I spent my entire life having to push. I think it's... You know, give an opportunity. Well, why did you join the forwards then? I mean, because I wasn't good at anything else. You and couldn't yeah, read, you couldn't yeah, read, basically. Couldn't, couldn't read, couldn't do anything, and I was great at hitting people, that was it. But the, <laughs> but the thing with front, you know, front, row, front row themselves, they've made it so complicated that you have to pay them a fortune because only they understand what's going on. They're like mechanics. You know, you take your car and they go, oh, it's the, the fiddle eight, the carburetor, and the, you're like, yeah, whatever. How much is that going to cost? You don't know. Props have made it so complicated, they've made a, a job out of it. I think rugby would be better if we just binned off that scrum because I just don't understand what it is. Went unopposed, bit more ball in playtime, like rugby league because honestly I just how, how we can look at that and have any idea what went on I was going to say that is rugby it. league though isn't it you don't want you, that no no we'll keep the line out bits because that's alright <laughs> but we'll keep the, 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 the scrums just do unopposed or oh, you, sh you should have a decision where the attacking team can decide whether they want it uh, opposed or unopposed and that, uh, that would say uh, when, when you when you, you could be a sore loser which obviously England fans are and England players are and I am but in order to be a serial winner you have to be a sore loser and in rugby we go oh no no it's all okay we lost it's alright fair and square the referee made a decision if you feel he made the wrong decision, what's wrong with you? Which, you know, as a commentator, as a player, you've got to, tell, you've got to say that. You've got to say what you feel. And, and I, feel he, I feel he made the wrong decision. They should have reset the scrum on a decision that was going to cost one team or other a place in the final. Because I don't think it was a penalty. There's also not a per no, I think where, where people are going wrong now is they personally attack the referee. Like you can agree, I think you can always disagree with someone, but you don't have to be rude about it. You can say, I don't think got the right decision and move on. I, I, you know, I remember having, talking to Wayne Barnes, we interviewed him ourselves, and you know, he said that he got attacked so personally, and, and Razi Erasmus opened the door for all this. So I think you can turn around and say, I disagree, but you don't have to go and threaten the bloke. You just go, listen, I didn't think it was the right decision. It doesn't change anything. Might make it feel a little bit better, and I don't think it was the right decision, but we move on, you know? And now Wayne Barnes is referee and Razi Erasmus again in a World Cup final. Yeah. So there you go, all the best exactly. for that, Razi. Um, when you watch big occasions like a World Cup final, James, and it amazes me actually how former players answer when I ask them these questions, do, do you miss playing? Do you miss playing the game? Do you miss it on those big occasions? I'm sure you don't miss the grind every Saturday, not being able to... I'll be honest with you, because of, of the limitations I've got physically, I've got arthritis, my ankle, I can't really run anymore. And I, the way I played my career is I squeezed all the juice out of it. I, I could do. I couldn't have done any more. I, you know, I, I probably would have played longer if I'd probably done a little bit less in regards to kind of the, some of the training and, and the, the way I played, and also some of the decisions of kind of just always front fronting up when I should have probably taken a few Mondays off like Lawrence did. You know, he was always ne never, never, never saw him on Newcastle. Never, <laughs> never saw him on the Monday club. You just just turn up team run, didn't you? Well, don't get man of the match, so don't worry about it. And carry on. Yes, yeah. <laughs> As you got towards the end of your career, you probably only trained for about 30 minutes, didn't you? This in is day? very true. Yes, yeah, it's very true. But I, I basically think that, uh, to be honest with you, if I could do it, if I could sit there and do it and know that I could do it well, I'd miss it. 
But my, I'm quite selfish as my wife. But you, you've replaced it with DJ yes. in front of thirty thousand people, which is more than you used to turn up and watch you play. Won't turn up at Adams Park anyway. Um, but I think it, I, I think for me, being ruthless. If if something doesn't help me or something doesn't make me better or make me money or, or further something else I'm interested in, I just don't really do it. Like I I, I like watching it, but I wouldn't sit there and go, you know, I could be out there because I couldn't. I wouldn't even make like you know, Maidenhead under 15s around the corner. So I kind of. <laughs> sort of just gone, I, I sit there and reflect and go, I'd love to, to want to work up like Lawrence does. You know, it's a life-changing moment. One, two, actually. That's a boast about it. Oh, right, seventh one as well. All right, all right. Okay, yeah. um, to win two World Cups like Lawrence, it's a life-changing thing, and I never got close to that. You know, 2011, we were described as the worst touring side in English sporting history. It's English sporting history, not just rugby. <laughs> 2015, we couldn't get out of the pool stage of our own home World Cup. 2019, I retired five, five months before the World Cup started. Um, and 2003, I was still at school. So it don't, you know, it's sort of my experience of World Cups isn't great. I would love to have won it, but I don't miss it that much. But like, you never wanted to be a rugby player anyway, right? I no. read somewhere they wanted to be either a digger, digger driver, driver yeah, or J- join yeah. the SAS. Yeah, my, so it's fail, fail on my, both those accounts. My dad said... Um, he always wanted letters after my name. They just weren't meant to be JCB. So I wanted to be in the SAS, but my mum took me to one side. She said, listen, son, I don't think it's a good idea. You're going to get shot by your own side. So um, <laughs> with that level of, by that level of confidence from mum, I, I chose the only thing I was good at, which was just lum- lumbering around like a rugby player. And, you know, yeah, and again, I, I, with rugby, it was always... A, the reason I loved it so much was not that I was a diehard fan. Like, I look at someone like Lawrence and the guys, you know, they, they live and breathe. He's got, you know, he's, he'll, he's always such a good commentator and always a good captain because he's such an um, analytical brain and sees the game. I I did it because I, I did it because it was my pathway to success. Because sport is quite interesting. It's unlike any other career. If you work hard, you get in the team. If you play well, then you get picked again. If the team goes well, you get international honours. If you play well for international, you get lines. It's very linear, and you and you have to perform every week, and you get a risk and reward every week. And I became addicted to that part of it. And, before, and, I, and I gave it a try from 17, and suddenly I woke up and I was 35, retired. You know, and it was a mad, mad adventure. Is it something that you'd, you've obviously got a young daughter, no boys yet, but if you had a son, uh, no reason why your daughter can't yeah. play, but would you want to encourage them to play rugby? Do you know what? Someone asked me this question the other day, and it was, it was, a, it was a lady, she was hoping to promote um, women's rugby, and I sort of shattered her dreams, really, because I said, I would happily let my, my daughter play any sport, there's zero money in women's rugby, she needs to learn golf, tennis, or something else, because she'd have to look after me in her old age, so she could do whatever she wants, as long as it makes cash. I did say to my two girls, they were, I think when they were obviously eight or ten, they said, Dad we're not going to play rugby anymore, is that okay? I said, absolutely okay, that's fine, I'm delighted. It's interesting though, like why would you not leave your, your daughters play or why would you not want to, your daughters no, no, to play I, rugby? No, no, I'd love them to They're play like... rugby, but it was, it, I think there's a decision where you start taking contact and they didn't, they didn't want to play after that. They, they liked touch rugby. Listen, women's rugby is the fastest and growing... they're amazing sp- role models. The fast, they're the amazing girls. role models. It is the fastest growing participation sport in this country at the moment and it's going in, 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 a, in a hugely upward direction at the point where men's rugby was, was going nowhere. So I think it's fantastic for those who want to play. I'm just saying my daughters didn't want to play. And I was being facetious. Of course, I, you know, I always say, Joe, I, whatever sport she wants to play, I would always let her play. I, I think for me, people who haven't played team sport don't really understand what, what it's about. And I'm always wary of people who haven't played any sort of team sport because it teaches you values that there's something bigger than you and that you can't act up and you've got responsibility to those around you. And if you're lucky enough to go and play professional sport, the lessons I learned now and the accountability that I have, when you go into offices and do these kind of corporate talks, you see people talk about team camaraderie and they talk about culture, but it's always kind of very much a veneer. Until you've been in the trenches or had to suffer through 
uh, warm-up games, pre-season, loss, failure, being with your teammates all the time, seeing them go through problems on and off the field, whatever it might be, and then coming together to deliver, that for me is really important. So my, I would always encourage my daughter to play a team sport. I'm going to take it to everything. I'm going to be like one of them mad, mad parents, but she could be an absolute nerd. As long as she makes it. you enough money. Well, yeah, I mean, listen, oh, yes. 10%. I've got to take 10%, 10% as an agent fee, obviously. I'm not, not ruthless. Right, okay. Before we look ahead to this weekend's action then, Lawrence, we're going to need you to choose your uh, big match moment. The big match moment with the Samsung Galaxy Tab S9 Ultra. Bring the big match to an expansive display. I mean, the Argentina-New Zealand game was a bit of a one-sided affair, a bit of a letdown, so I'm not really going to go with anything. Could have been Will Jordan's hat-trick, but we, we, you know, he's a phenomenal player. Could be the last-minute penalty from Pollard. Um, but I think, just to be a bit left-field, uh, Razi Erasmus made a substitution on 30 minutes where he hooked off... Um, was it... Uh, Nibok. Yeah, Nibok. Fly half, which is a horrific thing to do, isn't it? player who started at fly half and after 30 minutes just shepherds crook straight off the field but I believe that that was a huge point for that I mean a lot of coaches would have sat there and done nothing uh, been stubborn with their selection and if they left him on for another 10 minutes England win that game you know and that's it so I think the big match moment for me uh, which turned the game was actually him making that substitution um, Razi Erasmus and one thing I could and he, he emptied his bench within about 10 minutes into the second half so all of their replacements were, were on the field within 10 minutes of the second half. And then England started to follow suit because they had to to counteract what, you know, the, the tired bodies obviously on the field. So that is my big match moment. As a player though, uh, James, like Marley Lebot coming off yeah. after 30 minutes, how mentally, how does that, how would that affect him? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I was actually smiling halfway through um, what Lawrence is saying because I, I tried to think, is that the most ruthless decision I've ever seen? And I was like, no. I've seen Sean Edwards bring Aola Rinley on in a game as a substitution and take him off five minutes later. He's like, right, lads, get Oogie on, get Oogie on. Get Oogie off, get Oogie <laughs> off. Honestly, that's bad. That's <laughs> your, your replacement. And he'd rather played 14 men than have the bloke well, on that, the Well, Eddie Jones did it to Danny Kerr uh, in a test match over in Australia, actually. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, England went on to win the test match and win the series. Same with Luther Burrell. He did that in that series 2007. And Luther talks about how hard it was. I think, look, as a player... Um, Every player wants to start. Even when they came up with his fit starters and finishers in the bomb squad, you're still a bit like, look, I want to be, want to be involved and I want to start. So that's always hard. To get pulled off, it's devastating. I think he already is obviously a bit of a confidence player because you saw Sia Khaleesi have to stand up for him after that first game yeah. where he couldn't kick. But everybody has said it, and I think you've said it, Lawrence, before, you can't win a World Cup with a kicker under 85% success rate. He just wasn't playing particularly well. I think now the class of uh, Rasmus and the rest of the players will be to pick him up because that can haunt you. I always looked after my mental health. I saw a sports psychologist from 17 to a therapy session the other day while I was in, while I was in France. But I think he's going to need to do that. And I just wonder what the support network is around him because especially with the South Africans, you know, I, I had a drink with Bismarck Duplessis and I, I wouldn't say they're the most kind of in touch, compact, you know, kind of calm. He saw I had a couple of painted, painted fingernails and he was like, I don't understand, my friend. Why do you have this? And I was like, well, I, I, I just did it. No, I don't, I don't understand. So like, they're quite manly, so I just hope someone around them will, will put his arm around and look after him. Well, surely the thing to do now is chuck him back in, start him in the final. Oh, you hope so, but again, because apparently, well, you, know, you probably know better than this, that Andre Pollard and, and Razorov just don't get on. That obviously, that's why he binned him to start. Well, yeah, but also you look at, what, when he, as soon as he came on the field, Pollard, I don't know if anyone, you would have seen it, first thing he did is he went, got all the backs around him um, and just, you know, just said, this is exactly what we're going to do from now on. 
and he just completely calmed everyone down, didn't he? And suddenly, as a forward, you turn around and go, <laughs> the governor's back on. You know, he's won everything there is to win in the game. And it was a huge turning point in the match. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Um, James, while we've got you, um, we've heard a few England players, I think Courtney Laws has already come out and announced that he's played his last game of international rugby. Um, We're obviously tremendously proud of what the England team did, but obviously a, a Rugby World Cup is a natural kind of watershed moment. Steve Borthwick will be bringing some new players in. I suspect there'll be one or two that will be uh, announcing their retirement as well. Um, there's one or two that, that might be done for them, really. Yeah. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Um, who are the players that, you know, that some people would have liked to have seen at this World Cup uh, that weren't here that might be brought in for the Six Nations? So I think, look, obviously, as you said, it's a period of transition. You know, I was talking to Danny Kerr yesterday um, when we went out for, for lunch, and he's on 95 caps. You know, I think he'd like to probably try to fight on for the Six Nations because whether he gets selected or not, I think Danny Kerr is one of the best footballers um, in the game. And um, I think every time he's had an opportunity in the reason he's been brilliant, I'd love to see him get 100. I think he deserves it, especially because other England uh, coaches would have picked him the entire time. Obviously, Courtney, an amazing... You know, when you talk about a proper legend of the game, you know, Courtney and a proper world-class player, you know, Courtney just transformed his game from being an incredible tackler to an, all, an, an all-round player. I think we've probably seen the last of Dan Cole... Joe Marler, maybe. I don't know if they'll, they'll get another Six Nations and maybe they'd like to have a, a celebratory game at Twickenham. I think these guys deserve that. Sometimes there isn't a lot of romance in sport. You know, like you don't get to sometimes choose where, 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 when you get to finish. There's Not if you've got better players behind you, no. That's what I mean, yeah. And I think a lot of guys will, will move in. I think, you know, everyone's talking about wanting to see it more of Henry Arundel. Obviously, there's something there that he's not coming out and saying whether it's, they've got concerns over his defence or that kind of stuff that he's going to have to improve on. I think there will be a lot of new players that will come in because you know, this is now an opportunity to rebuild. But you equally don't want to just rip out the heart of the whole team because actually I think for once England started to look settled with some of their selections and that's one thing that Lawrence I've heard him say a million times. Too many, too many support coaches and too many changes in the team. We need to decide, you know, I think England looked better when they had 110. I think March is obviously going but Ollie Lawrence... I think consistent centre pairing, all these little bits I think will come into place and I think naturally will fade some bits out. But there are probably a few stars like uh, George Martin. You know, yeah, I think yeah, he really turned up. It? I think yeah. he'll be the next one to, 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 to move into to pole position. So let's wait and see. I just hope he doesn't bin everyone off 
because actually you do need some experience, a bit of structure. I and I suppose it's that, like, does England have enough strength and depth for those players too? Because we're looking at Wales now, you know, Anscombe's not going to be with us at 10, Dan Bigger has retired, Liam is off to Japan. Uh, we're, we're losing, Wales are losing so much kind of, you know, talent in certain positions. Well, also, let's not, let's not get too carried away because we've had one really good game against South Africa. When we go back to the Six Nations, you know, we're up against the two best sides in the world, Ireland and France, or two of the better sides in the world, who are, who are going to be more determined than, than ever to, to show that missing out on the World Cup semi-final and final was, was a bad thing. So Wales are, are in transition, but they brought in already an, a, a group of players. So, no, we definitely will need to retain quite a lot of that experience that we've still got and not do what we did in 2003 and get rid of everyone overnight. You've got to transition that move. So one or two players, you know, by all means retire. No one's getting another cap to celebrate their England career. No. You know, <laughs> to celebrate your England career, you've got to win. Where do we get the props from, though? That's, that's the big question. I mean, the RFU have started a school for props, but... What? According to James, you don't need them. Yeah, I'll get well. rid of it. What's a school for props? Imagine that one, left to like mall to get any food, they have to just push for everything. <laughs> Probably. What? <laughs> Just meat on the menu. Like, what, what are we a school of props? Imagine how thick it would be, honestly. Like, I'm doing a disservice. Hygiene Limited, <laughs> Intelligent Limited, pushing strength. Amazing. Uh, I feel like they've traumatized you in a previous life. Uh, well, what, what sorry, isn't it? I had, props. To, I had to share with Peter, a room with Peter Bracken once, and that did traumatize <laughs> me for life. And that's another story for, for another day. It was an interesting point about you said about because um, we were trying to think of a bit of analysis around the, the, the teams, you know, that Ireland, for me, this was the closest that I think they were ever going to get. It was the perfect storm, and I think if a draw had gone other ways, I don't see, once you've lost Peter Omani, eventually when that happens, and, and Johnny Sexton, you know, France for me, they've got so much youth, and half the team were injured by the time they, were well, not half the team, but a lot of key players were out. I think they're probably the most exciting team that can carry on and use this World Cup failure as a catalyst. I don't know if, I mean, Andy Farrell's a brilliant, brilliant coach, and he's created an atmosphere that the boys are addicted to. I just don't know where you get the next stars from. And I don't know with England where you get those props. But I think, you know, there, are, there is Will Stewart. There are a couple of other people. But this next period of time in the Six Nations will be really interesting to see because I think one of the criticisms of Clive Woodward after 2003 is his job was to win a World Cup. But there was nothing else after that. There was no succession plan. And we've kind of been stumbling around in the dark a little bit ever since that. And I think we've got to be a bit smarter. I think with Borthwick, they're probably going to change some coaching, I imagine. There'll be a few, there's obviously a couple of people coming in. Felix Jones is already yeah. uh, coming over from South Africa. So the guy who was the attack coach for South Africa on Saturday. He's a good acquisition. He's a, he was at Ireland before. He's in very incredibly well thought of by Ireland and South Africa. He's moving over to become England's attack coach because Richard Wigglesworth has obviously only just started. And, and that's, that, that's a huge significance because we need, you know, we need real quality. Uh, and they'll probably have a new defence coach, I would imagine. Um, right, should we move on then? Um, third and fourth playoff. Can somebody please tell me the point of this in a World Cup? Because like, as players, surely... Playing for the third best position, yeah. Like, not that's great. just not a game. Well, well I mean, I think... I could just say there was, there was a New Zealand coach who once uh, said it was like kissing your grandmother playing in the third and fourth well, place. You've just proven my point. I think it's a commercial exercise um, for, to get another 90,000 fans into the stadium and have one more game. But, look, the World Cup's always had 48 games. I don't know, maybe that's because it's an even, num it, even number. Uh, no, I've never played in it, but I wouldn't agree with it if I had to. I only go to finals, mate. I don't know what you're talking about. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yeah, exactly. Bronze medal. Don't even know what bronze looks like. Ash. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think it's awful. I, you know, I, I, I did see. <laughs> True though. I've never played. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I would. I can't imagine having to get my head round being third. No. <laughs> 
Second is bad enough. I think for me, yeah, it's hard because, all, but uh, look, it's weird. One of the, things, the key things about a, a World Cup and any squad, and, and, and you know, I've always said what an amazing captain Lawrence was, you've got to keep everyone else motivated. And obviously throughout this, this World Cup period, I think Borthwick and the lads have genuinely had a good time trying to keep things together. Now this is an opportunity, I wonder, for some people it's going to be awful because where you know you can't really get up for it but other players go you know if Borthers makes a load of changes some of these players you haven't we haven't really seen may get an opportunity and then another cap it's another cap it's the last yeah. thing people will think of you if you play badly and get pumped by argentina you know the world we live in everything's yeah. going to be but re- you know reviewed. do you know what the uh, and everyone's been complaining about this the qualification uh, for the next world cup in terms of the world cup draw has always been based on your success and how far you've gone in the previous tournament So um, the reason why Ireland and France ended up on the wrong side of the draw is because at the 2019 World Cup, they didn't play so well. They got knocked out early. So actually, bizarrely, this third and fourth place bronze playoff, unless World Rugby changes the rules, means that whoever wins it will be better placed in the draw for the next World Cup. And that's the reason why it's, and commercially, why it's happening. But the thing is, like, for fans, great. It's it's another rugby match, another international match. But I was... I was talking from 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 a player's perspective. Yeah, I would I mean, imagine. I, I, I had something similar to that where we got we got knocked out the um, the World Cup 2015. We had to play Uruguay, um, and I had I had like five minutes of game time, and then they sort of go. But actually, because you're professional, in the week leading up to it, you'd sit there going, "Oh my God, what are we doing?" I promise you, as soon as you get in there, and put that white shirt on, you have a you have a kind of respect for that shirt, and you have to make a good account of yourself because nobody cares. There's no backstory that you know that if you don't play well and there's clips all over social media or people are talking about it on newspapers or dissect you, it won't matter that it was a third, fourth playoff. It will be you playing badly in an England shirt. So I think, however much you'll moan about it, I think we'll get on and actually boys will turn up and front up and they've got to beat Argentina because you know, imagine we came forward, it just doesn't, it just won't sit right. And I think it would do themselves a disservice and it would also set the naysayers off again. Well, you've also said as well, it's probably the last game for a lot of these players, isn't it? So, you know, if you're Courtney Laws, you want to go out and well, hide, Well, it's an interesting selection because he does he play some of those players? Well, first of all, you've got to see who's patched up after that weekend because it's probably quite a physical game. Um, you know, who does he play in and use that as a way of celebrating your England career? That might be quite a nice way of doing it because it doesn't really matter. Um, whereas actually the first game of the Six Nations is not a time to celebrate, it's a time to win. So, yeah, some interesting, or do you just give everyone who hasn't played yet a chance to play? But That's what I do, but I just wonder if, you know, then is it disrespectful to Argentina? I don't, I don't know. It's, it, either way you spin it, it's tricky. I, I give the players who haven't played an opportunity or I put together a team that I thought might be the starting team for the Six Nations and give them a run out and actually see these players in, in possession, see where they can play together. Now, it's always a bit of a hide to nothing when you change everything for the last game because... You're sort of damned if you do and damned if you don't, but I think it'd be a great way of doing it. Okay, World Cup final then on Saturday night, um, South Africa, New Zealand. Last time these two teams met were in Twickenham in August, um, and we all know what happened in that game. Uh, Lol, how do you see the final playing out? Well, I, th- I had a sneaky suspicion, a bit like when South Africa lost the first game of the World Cup in uh, 2019, comfortably to New Zealand. They went away, they didn't play that many tough games. They had to beat Japan, um, Scotland, who weren't playing so well at the time, and then Wales in a semi-final. Um, and then they arrived at the final fit and fresh. England had to go the other way, and they had to play Australia, and then New Zealand, which was an incredible performance. And whatever you say about South Africa, England turned up mentally and emotionally completely you know, drained by the time they beat New Zealand. And I just feel when New Zealand lost to France in the opening game, everyone was saying, you know, no one was talking about the All Blacks, quite understandably. France are brilliant, Ireland are brilliant, South Africa... And I, I think New Zealand have gone about their business. They're peaking at the right time. 
South Africa, on the other hand, have had to play Ireland, they've had to play France, they've had to play a tough England game, and if they can go to New and win the final against New Zealand, then they that would probably be the hardest World Cup win they would have ever had. So I've got this sneaky suspicion that whatever South Africa do, I mean, after the win that they had against France and England, it, maybe it's written in the stars, these one-point victories, but... You know, I just think New Zealand are in good shape. I know that they got hammered up front in August at Twickenham, but I wouldn't read too much into that. Scott Barrett stays on the field. Uh, they've got a very, very good side. And I don't think we've even seen the best of New Zealand yet. I think there's an and extra And Geordie Barrett makes such a difference as well. Yeah, Geordie he? Barrett. Right. I just think they, I think South Africa, have just. it might just be a big game too far for them. Yeah, I mean, I've I, I got to say that it's always dangerous when we came to the tournament. I kept saying, Ireland, France, love to see that. South Africa, obviously, we don't rule out New Zealand because I, I was with Mike Tindall saying, I don't think he, he lost New Zealand from 2000 um, to, you know, 2002 to 2003. He didn't, you know, never lost them uh, for a period. Whereas Micro, only, we only beat them once and that was, at, that was at Twickenham. So I have the utmost respect for them. I think their aura has been slightly dented and then this really weird situation where the, the success of the coach has been announced. You know, they were going to fire the coach and if it wasn't for a deputation from the players who said, no, he's actually the man, have faith. They've gone on this really amazing journey and I think because their athletic ability and actually they now seem to be because he wants the best players on the field, but not necessarily in the right positions, which normally upsets everybody. But he's been so stubborn, he's dealt with all that criticism. And listen, in New Zealand, there's nothing else to do but to, to, to watch <laughs> rugby. If you, if you say to a New Zealander, you can't talk about rugby, they're like, oh, oh no, oh, um. Zero chat. That's what I mean, so, zero chat. So they live and breathe it, and they've been under so much pressure over there. And then if you think England lose, and people get a little bit upset, over there, it's like the whole, it's like, you know, it's like desolation. And so I think they are now in a, in a great position. Is that all the stuff that Lawrence said? I just got this feeling that New Zealand are going to win it. And I think that they, they would be amazing if they did. Totally, I agree. I mean, I lived in New Zealand for a year. And uh, whenever the All Blacks play, it, it's first item on the news. They don't care about anything else. And I have to say, in Will Jordan, they've probably got the next big superstar who plays rugby union. He's tied at the moment on eight tries and his lead. That's the most that anyone's ever scored in a Rugby World Cup. Really? So he could break that yeah. record. Yeah, it's with um, Jonah Lomu, Habana and uh, Julian Surveyor. So he could break that record at the weekend. And they've also scored 48 tries in a tournament, which is 18 more than anybody else. So New Zealand, the team to watch. Although I have to say, when we picked our team at the start of the tournament, I did go for South Africa. So what, what are you going for? Who are you going for? Uh, New Zealand. I think the All Blacks are going to do it. Yeah, I, th I thought okay. France or Ireland, uh, but I've, I've, during the World Cup, I kept changing my mind. I thought whoever wins out of Ireland and New Zealand is going to go on and win the World Cup. And I thought, had it been Ireland, I would have thought that they would have won. But now I'm going to go with New Zealand. Okay. So should we take some questions from the audience? Hello, I'm Davina. I've got two questions, both relating to refereeing. One is, Owen Farrell's obviously an amazing captain. Is he the right person to speak to referees in high-pressure situations? And the second question is, Luke Pearce has been overlooked for the final. What does that man have to do to referee the World Cup final? Well, that's the first one. Okay, so I was listening to Owen Farrell, as you all were on the ref mic, and um, the, I don't think I've met a player who's more determined to win. And so he's, like so, so he's like an absolute legend. You know, anyone who thinks that he should have been replaced in the England team is, you know, living in dreamland. He is a serial winner. He's unbelievable. I've never thought that he should captain the team because I just don't like the idea of a fly half captaining the team. Not because he's not a very good captain, a leader, but because 95% of all decisions that are made on a rugby field are made around the breakdown. And when your poor captain has to walk 10 metres to go and speak to the referee, it's already quite an aggressive movement. Owen Farrell was really excited about that game right from the start. You could hear him on the ref mic. He was shouting and screaming at the players. 
Now that was over-enthusiasm, and he was shouting at the referee, not because he was shouting at the referee, but he was so enthusiastic to win the game, and it came across like he was shouting. And the referee said to Benok, he said, look, calm down, mate, calm down. He was, he was perfectly calm, he was just shouting. Did you have to temper that when you were... Well, if you, you, if you saw Sia Khaleesi, Sia Khaleesi wasn't shouting at the referee, primarily because he was probably in shock at the way England were playing. But the way you speak to a referee is quietly, okay? Not where people can hear you on the ref mic, all right? Because referees have got mums and dads at home as well. There's 90,000 people watching in the stadium. They don't want to be spoken to aggressively. You just have quiet little com corridor conversations when the ball is in the air and going to touch on a penalty. Can you have a quick look at that? And that's something that I just feel we need to develop. The art of captaincy needs to be developed. And it's not that Owen Farrell's a bad captain, he's a world-class player. But you can't, he was so excited at the weekend about playing. You could hear him at every breakdown shouting. And ultimately, it cost his side a penalty. You know, and I just felt he got a bit hard done by there. And then Manu Tuanangi comes in and pulls Jesse Krul. It, that scuffle broke out. was actually initiated by South Africa. It wasn't initiated by Manu Tuanangi, but we got penalised for that as well. So six points there that in the grand scheme of the game probably were quite significant. I think also the Northern accent doesn't help. Trying to be compassionate and kind and all that. Right, I'm just a referee, I really like you, but just, you know, I love you as well. You're such a sensitive man. It just always comes across, doesn't it? That's why in every team I've ever been in, if you're northern, you're immediately a, a more powerful leader of men. Because if I come in, I'm like, right, chaps, big game today, boys. We're gonna get, let's get it together. And some guy goes, right, that's not being funny, but let's just you know, put bodies on the line. And everyone goes, my God, he's so inspiring. I'm like, I just said exactly the same thing. But in, a, in an illegible you know, tone. So I, I think, I think yeah. genuinely, well, I, my, uh, Lawrence's point is right. Don't get taught to be a captain. You either naturally have that progress. And what you do is you, if you're, in, if you're uh, emotionally intelligent and your, your uh, EQ is up there, you start to understand and develop. And one of the things I've watched with, with Owen when he came in, his standards for himself are so high that he had the expectation of everybody else to be like that. So he's always calling people out, you know, referees. He was only always emotionally up here. What I've seen since he's become a dad and since he's been in the game, he does have that ability to temper tone and voice. But it is a game. You know, Lawrence was the, you know, Lawrence was the proponent of it the entire time. You know, he would always be in the referees, but in the right way, in the, in, the, in the right tone, at the right time. He knew when to get the boys round and give a rousing speech to shout, or he'd know when to be softly and, and, and quietly. Uh, you know, Owen had, has that ability, but as he said, his compassion and, and passion for this game probably um, pushed him over the edge. And, and Luke Pierce, I think, look, Wayne Barnes was going to DJ, um, oh, DJ, <laughs> that, would be, that would be amazing. Um, imagine I'd Wayne love Barnes. to see that. I reckon he'd be yeah, quite good. Classic <laughs> FM tune. No. Barrister FM. I love that. Imagine that. The Wurzels on repeat. No, he basically, you know, in 2019, Wayne Barnes was going to referee the final if England hadn't made it. You know, he's the most experienced World Cup uh, referee or World Cup uh, referee of all time. I, I think it's a case of giving him the opportunity because this might be the last time he ever does it. And so I think Luke Pearce's time will, will come. What's the funniest thing you guys have ever heard on the field? Uh, and said. Go on. Well, they wouldn't you have said anything funny these two. Well, told Steve Borthwick that he trained like Tarzan but played like Jay. No, <laughs> <laughs> <he didn't. laughs> Yeah. Daddy Grucott then knocked me out, got sent off, <laughs> yeah. and we won the final. Yeah. Perfect. That, was that the Parker Penn one as well? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that. No, I mean, I'd, to be honest, you, contrary to the way I am off the field, I was not a big um, chatter on the field. I just used to get on with it. Whereas, ironically, someone like Steve Borthwick was a massive oh, sledger. He used to give me so much abuse yeah. on the pitch. But it's so out of character, isn't I mean, it? You're, for a six foot four sleeping tablet, you're funny, <laughs> mate, to be fair. Uh, right, one more question then, guys. Bit of a fun question for you, Lawrence. Do you still have the car that you got when you retired from Wasps? Well, 
you know what? It's the fun question is that when I retired from WASP, I was expecting, you know, Rolex timepiece or something like that. <laughs> James came up with this wonderful idea. They got in touch with Chop Shop. You know Chop Shop on channel? Yeah. And they, they got, I was presented with a, with a black and gold Ford Capri, right? <laughs> which was souped up, um, which was a wonderful car. I'm still yeah. old enough to have, a, have had a Ford Capri. They don't corner very well. But uh, we had a 4.8 litre engine. Yeah, it. mad. I lent it to Joe Worsley. The oil tank blew up, uh, and it's now gone, sadly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I got your car just to make sure you're actually going to leave so I could get a game. <laughs> <laughs> right. My fellow uh, Mitchell brother here. Thanks, Lawrence. Um, uh, Steve, hi, everybody. Um, a bit more serious question, I'm afraid, than my colleagues just asked. Do you think the relative success of the England team belies the, the underlying issues with the, with the domestic game, with so many clubs going out of, out of business at the I, minute? I, I think, tr truthfully, I'm going to end on a negative, I, I think rugby's in a real, real problem. I think um, there's something like a 190 teams in, 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 or something like that, or 98 teams in the world, and, and only, only five of them turn a profit, and Northampton only turned a profit in the Premiership because they sold Dan Bigger, and that's the only reason there was more money on the balance sheet. Uh, rugby is in a real issue. I think the whole thing needs to be torn up and, re and redone. Um, because I don't think it will survive otherwise. I think more teams are going to go bust. I think um, it needs to be completely changed. Uh, obviously, they've had a good go at it for a period of time, but actually, uh, you know, I would start a global season. I'd, I'd make a bit of a global club game. I'd, you know, and I'd make a franchise and go American model. I'd make it entertainment. I'd make it similar to the kind of F1. I'd make it summer sport. I'd change all these kind of things. I think grassroots we all know and we love, and that's where we came from. But that has to be completely separate from the top level of the game. It, you know, the values and some of the people that have come through grassroots are what ho is holding rugby back. We promote from within a lot with no experience because they were good people, good players, so they must be good at business, and they're not. So I, I, I think we're in a real decline. The only thing that's growing is women's rugby, which is amazing. I just hope women do completely opposite to what men, men have done and find their own path and find their own way. But I definitely think rugby is in a real, real period of, uh, of trouble. The international game's growing, but small, in a small way. I think you're going to see more teams fail. I don't know how we save it other than what we do. I would love a Saudi billionaire to come in and... and, and, Actually, and well, that's not out of the question, to be fair. They've bought every other sport, so uh, it, I mean, it'd be quite small beer for them, small change. What we really need is some leadership from the Rugby Football Union, don't we? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's what we're really I, looking I want for. People, that's could, what we're really looking for. I could be head yeah, of World Rugby. In right? the amateur game and the professional game, we need uh, the governing you, you heard it here first. James, James Haskell, be, head of World I Rugby. I promise you, put me in charge of World Rugby. I'll clear the whole thing up. Ask, I'll, do, I'll, do it, I'll ask for six weeks. I'll do it in a week and take the other five on holiday. I'll honestly... The amount of faffing and nonsense that goes on, I could just change it. I mean, it took them long enough to get this um, eligibility rule changed because everyone's panicking. Just make some decisions, stick to it and change it because what's happening at the moment won't work. Vote for Haskell, yeah? Right. <laughs> it's like a Trump campaign. I'll get you as, I, need, I need a henchman. Well, he won. He Trump won, didn't he? <laughs> You know, we need some leadership my, in the game. Is my what wife said I was at rugby's answer to Donald Trump, which, is, which I thought was awful. But anyway. Thanks, guys, for your questions. Thank you, gents. That's Thank fun. you for having us. Yeah, Appreciate that. Been a fun evening, sir. Thanks for holding it all together, holding us all together. Thanks to Steve. Thanks to my prodigal son, James. I only see him once a year when he comes back home. And I thanks to everyone at Samsung for hosting us here at Samsung King's Cross and especially the tablet marketing team. And of course, you, the wonderful audience. Thanks for listening and we'll see you all next week. Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance.
QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 